Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Selena's Underground Podcast, your weekly look at all things Selena's business, people, and now politics. Oh, man. My my promise to the listeners, just I just broke it. We, we've never done politics. I've definitely talked about politics a lot on this podcast, but I've never had many people running for office, and we've definitely never reached out to another group to help us um, tell the story of people running for office. But this year is different. This year we needed to do something. Like I said, uh, the mayor, several council seats are up, several high-level positions within the city that are not elected but really matter are changing, and we felt that we had to do something. We, we We had to get more information out there. So along those lines, I reached out to my very limited Rolodex, and I was able to find somebody to wrangle to to help me out with this. And Claudia Melinda Salinas is actually here on the mic. She's been on the show before. Actually, I think have your book up there on my bookshelf, which is also part of the reason why I'm nervous for doing this. I, I don't don't rarely have co-hosts who have books in my bookshelf. So anyway, Claudia Melinda Salinas from Voices of Monterey Bay will be joining me for this series. We need a cool, catchy name for it. We can come up with one. Yeah. Maybe your listeners can, uh, the listeners can suggest something. Yeah. If you're, yeah, there you go. Listeners come up with something catchy. Has to rhyme with Salinas. <laughs> so anyway, basically what we're doing, we'll, we'll come up with a show. I mean, we'll explain it better in in its own show. So, but this week we're starting, we're starting with Anthony Rocha. I wish I had like the, the drum roll, yeah. please. The drum roll. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, this is this is cool. You are one of the young up and coming political figures in this in Salinas in this area, and yeah. So this is it's interesting that the oh the young ones the one on the podcast first. <laughs> we didn't we didn't design it like that. We just reached out to people, and as as people responded, we started putting them. Uh, on the calendar but here you are and you are you're running first for council and yeah so so anyway we'll we'll just start with our very first question which i think is a very simple easy one is why did you decide to run and what makes you qualified to run well, thank you for having me on the show. And I won't be so shameless to think everyone knows who I am. So I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, my name is Anthony Rocha, and I am a school board member for the Salinas Union High School District, and I'm a candidate for Salinas City Council this November to represent District 6. Uh, District 6 is Creek Bridge and El Dorado Park area. So it's a pretty diverse district. Uh, I am born and raised in the 6th District. I went to John Steinbeck, Hardin, Alvarez, Hartnell, and now UC Santa Cruz. Cruz. Uh, I've had the privilege to represent this district on the Salinas Union High School District Board. And I believe your question is, why did I decide to run for the city council seat, correct? Yes. Why? That is a great question. And I seem to ask myself that on a regular basis throughout mm-hmm. this campaign. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, the reason I decided to jump into this campaign was really because the future of Salinas is at stake in this election. And I don't mean to be melodramatic and I don't mean to yeah. be, uh, you know, like a typical politician here. But really, we have quite a few positions that are open in city government uh, that need to be filled, not only electorally speaking, but city management wise. We also have the future growth area that is going to be up for the city council to be voted on. And that is, you know, all of Baranda that will get developed. 
so on top of that, there are already existing structural issues with the city that I have seen as a school board member in my inability to work with the city on some really important issues that are affecting young people in our community. So really looking at what was going to be down the pipeline for the city, what I'd already experienced with not only serving in elected office as a school board member, but also as a city commissioner, uh, all that combined is what prompted me to run. On a more concise, I guess I'll say it's the need for affordable housing. It's the need to have strong relationships with our school districts. It's the need to have a more transparent and accountable government that really brings people into the fold. Right now, you know, and I don't mean to be combative on your first interview here, <laughs> but right now, really, I, I would not say that most people feel like they're heard at City Hall. And um, I know Claudia and I have been at several city council meetings, even prior to me holding elected office, to where we would watch people pour their hearts out at the dais pour their hearts out at public comment and the city council would completely vote against what the community wanted. So really my desire to serve in a city council role is because I know what happens in government when you have people who are reflective of the community in elected office and the importance of that. So I want to make sure we're having a voice for working families, for young people and fighting these issues that, you know, everyday people care about. Well, and yeah. And so those, those are some pretty big issues that that need to be addressed. And well, how are you qualified to address those issues? Thank you. That's a great question. I am the only one in the sixth district race that's running that has held elected office before. I have served in the Salinas Union High School District School Board, and I've had the ability to work with my colleagues to oversee a budget of $200 million and 1,600 employees. I know what it takes to be a city council member. So when people ask, you know, what makes you qualified to be in elected office? Oftentimes people provide a plethora of responses, but very few people really understand what it takes to be an effective elected official. And it's two things. Why should I say three? The first one is, can you get four votes? The second one is, can you direct a chief executive? And the third one is, are you committed to the issues that you care about? And do you know why you're going to City Hall? That's really what's important. And on the school board, I've been able to get four votes on very important issues, whether it be ethnic studies, whether it be taking on live PD, whether it be, you know, pushing to remain in distance learning, even when the superintendent wanted us to go into hybrid mode in September. These are all crucial issues, and I've been able to get the four votes to really lead on them from the Salinas Senior Union High School District. Prior to that, I had the, pre- the pleasure of serving as a Monterey County Mental Health Commissioner, Salinas Library Commissioner, and on the Board of Directors for the Community Alliance for Safety and Peace. But aside from that, I think what really qualifies me is I understand the issues that my generation is facing from a first-hand perspective. You know, I don't need to talk about economic disparity from a third-person perspective. I've lived in the same apartment for 16 years. I know the struggles that people have when they want to get an apartment or they want to get a home, and you make too much to be in low-income housing, and you make too little to get an actual home. Uh, So those things are really, you know, what I think qualifies me to be a city council member. Let me ask the next question. And before I do that, actually, you are listing very long uh, list of accomplishments. Did you start all these when you were in kindergarten? (laughs) Seriously. Uh, You know, I think that what makes, you know, me able to run for office for this position is, you know, I've served on the school board for two years and we've had those long list of accomplishments. And it's because I know how to work with people to get them done. And, you know, really what it comes down to is can you get four votes? Uh, So, you know, it it would sound like, you know, I started like 30 years ago in government, but, you know, really uh, it's, you know, have the ability to work with people and get four votes. Excellent. Let me ask you then, what are the most pressing issues facing the city 
And how can they be addressed? Oh, you know, I think the most pressing issue facing our city right now is our housing crisis. Uh, the second issue that I think is affecting our community is the homelessness crisis, which is really actually linked to the housing crisis. And also what we really have to start addressing is, um, I guess you could say, the giving people the opportunity to move up the economic ladder. That is what we need in Salinas. We need social mobility in our community. So I think those are the most pressing issues for our city. Um, obviously, there are plenty others. You have the CalPERS issue. You have, you know, the budgetary crisis the city is going through. You have our, you know, limited uh, water supply, and then we're continuing to build things. So there are a plethora of issues. But for me, I think addressing economic disparity is most important. And in terms of the housing crisis, we're in a unique ability that we could actually lead on this in Salinas because we have the future growth area that is going to be, you know, uh, voted on in, in the next couple of years. Yeah. And for those who don't know, that is all of Baranda will get developed. That was looking at potentially, I think, around 10,000 homes. And when you say all of Baranda, just to be a little more specific, that's uh, eventually it's going to be from San Juan grade to Williams, but it, at the moment, really, it seems it's San Juan grade to the Natividad, right? Well, that's the Western area. Specific yeah. plan. That's already been approved. What's been voted on. The, the next one that we're going to be discussing that was just discussed at the planning commission is the central area specific plan. And Which that, then would go from Natividad to, I believe, uh, a little not, bit, not, for, not all the way to Williams. Yeah. I, I can see it in my head, but I don't know all the, but it so really, like, it really encompasses. So like Sanborn maybe, right? Past or? Sanborn really. I mean, you're looking at acres and acres and acres of land that go almost more like past Freedom and Williams. Yeah, so. that's what I would yeah, say. Cause, yeah, and this, I, this is, because this goes back when I was, and I've told this story a million times on the show, but in 2005, I did my senior project at Alvarez on city planning. So I worked oh, wow. for 10 months with the planning department of the city. Um, again, Courtney Grossman was my mentor, and now he's like the head planner. Um, and this yeah. this was already in the this was in the general plan already. Mm -hmm. um, they had they were updating the twenty five year general plan at this point. Okay. It was it was so behind, but yeah. It so basically all the way to the hills, you know, to the hills on old stage. Mm -hmm. That's already in some form of planned to be developed. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, and just just for the listeners, just just. To, yeah. to kind of show them what it is. So, yeah, so you're saying one from San Juan grade to Natividad, that's already voted on, but we're already talking about that next one. Yeah, that's what's coming up to the city yeah. council right now. And it's really one of the main reasons why I decided to jump into the race was because from the school board, I had such difficult time uh, working with the city on the Western Area Specific Plan because they're going to bring in a lot of homes, which we need homes. Um but what type of homes are you bringing into our community? And also, are you providing the community benefits agreements? Do you have the entitlements for that community? So it was putting the Santa Rita neighborhood at a real disadvantage because we had just built Rancho San Juan High School and it was already going to be overcrowded. I believe, if I remember the discussions, um, Santa Rita Union School District was going to have to build about three schools to meet the need for the new homes that are going to be built in there. Each school is around, I would say, $100 million to build. Santa Rita Union School District's budget is $70 million, and they're a bond capacity, so they can't even go to the voters and ask for money. So really what we needed was the city council to step up and tell the developers, no, you will give money to build that school because you're going to make millions off of that. But the city said, you will get the developer fees. Well, the developer fees for that project covers 30% of the cost to build a school over a 30-year time period. So that 
is what really prompted me to jump into the race because the central area is my home. I mean, I live in Creekbridge. So, you know, and we're looking at building the Lotus Huerta Middle School in that area. And we're looking at the types of schools and things we want to build in that area. But the central area specific plan is crucial to that. So back to the question of the most pressing issues, it's affordable housing. And we're at a unique opportunity to address it through how we uh, build these plans. So for me, it's really important that we look at increased density in these homes you know for a long time having the single family home was the epitome of success in california well now people aren't really looking at that anymore people are looking at how they could have smaller homes how they could have you know more affordable things and how they could be closer to transit oriented areas they could Mm -hmm. be closer to communities and really the success of a development is how walkable is it can you go to your grocery store can you go to the mailbox can you go to the bank can you go to all these things without having to get into your car so for me What I want to see in this plan is increased density, inclusionary housing ordinances, community benefits agreements that include a rent stabilization plan, that include the money to build a library. So those are things that I really want to see in that plan that are not being even in consideration right now. And that's not even to include things like, uh, you know, um, what is it, commercial... um, Commercial link, uh, how was it? I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. But uh, really, when you're going to bring in big businesses to community, there's a certain um, percentage of that that could go to build uh, affordable housing. Uh-huh. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's something like um, commercial linkage fee or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think I have it in my phone here. But so those types of community benefits agreements is what prompted me to jump into the race because they said, no, we need to have a city council member that will negotiate hard enough on behalf of working families. And the problem is people take a lot of money from developers in their campaigns and they go to city council and they suddenly, you know, oh, it's too difficult. It's too difficult to have these, you know, concessions, these entitlements. It's not too difficult if you have the political courage and the political will. So that is a huge one in terms of affordable housing that I think that is how we could be addressing it is what types of homes you're going to build. Are you going to have seven? hundred eight hundred thousand dollar homes because what that's going to bring is a lot of nice teslas to our community but really it's going to be people in the silicon valley where they can buy a home we need more first-time home buyer opportunities for our residents especially in my district Creekbridge. so we have a huge problem where it's two to three families living per home uh you know beautiful homes they have five bedrooms but that's why you have so many families living in there so when you look at the plan that you're going to build we really need to have affordable housing be a huge component of that well, and so, yeah, and you said that the income is is a, such a, is one of those those pressing issues. But my question is, you look at Salinas and every year the ag commissioner comes out with this report and he says this year we we increased four hundred million dollars to the value of our ag. Or, and I think it's up to nine point five billion. They said was the last report of how much the ag industry is worth or brings into this area. Mm-hmm. How can Salinas be the capital of this area and still have all these problems, all these, you know, financial problems or income disparity type problems? If again, we're so we're the center of this huge industry. We, we you know, the, the, leafy greens everybody seems to be a vegan now you know like and and <laughs> right. the and like i said it's it's quite interesting you know that the commissioner every year it's, it's a really cool report you can get it from that commissioner mm-hmm. and um but yeah every year it seems the value seems to go up even even if we lose ag land to housing or whatever the value of the product itself keeps going up so how can the value of our ag keep going up, but we still have these income disparity issues in Salinas. 
So first I want to say, what I was referring to in the first part was commercial linkage fees. That's what I couldn't Commercial linkage fees? Yes. You got most of it. Yeah. <laughs> you got most of it. Yeah, I had it off <laughs> my head. It's commercial linkage fees. So um, it's important for me to get that right. I'm a policy nerd, and I'm like, no, it was a failure to me if I couldn't you say it. You won't sleep tonight. You're <laughs> like, like ah, I wanted to say that. <laughs> so, but, you know. I love it that you were forgetting things. This is not just an old people's thing. It's also yeah, young people. You so thank you for saving me. Yeah, that You see people, he's not ready. No. <laughs> he's not prepared. He's not ready to lead. <laughs> Um, but so your question is really a huge reason why I'm running. It's addressing economic disparity. I mean, we say we're the, you know, salad bowl of the world. We have a $9 billion economy, but yet you have people sleeping on the streets. Yeah. But you have a huge homeless problem in the city. So the question is, who is the economy working for? And it's not working for working class families. That's the truth. So that is the reason why we have this problem. It's because people are able to make a lot of money on a lot of projects, but they're making it off the backs of working families. And they're not reinvesting that money in our communities. So if we want to have, you know, a return on investment, if we want to have, you know, share some of that success in our economy, you're going to have to start getting some concessions from these people who are making that money. Because, you know, like you mentioned, everyone likes to be a vegan now. And they like to say, you know, it's, my meal is cruel free. Well, what does that mean? Because I know the people that work in the field, it's a pretty cruel job. It's not really cruel free just because you haven't killed a cow for it. Yeah. So if we want to have, you know, these investments in our community, it's, it has to be linked to having people pay their fair share, having people pay living wages for the work that they do. And, you know, really investing in our inner community, not just hoarding this money and continuously saying we're making more money in our economy. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a tough one. That was a, that's a, that's a tough one to answer. I mean, I, that could, it can be a, a lot, but yeah, that was, I think that, that addressed pretty good. You mentioned something, uh, you were mentioning something about how you support businesses earlier in the, in the mm -hmm. interview, before we started, mm -hmm. how you are, you support small businesses mm -hmm. because you purchase your coffee yeah. at the beer bean yes. and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, but you know, we know right now small businesses are going through a really rough time. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just COVID and in city of Salinas downtown is pretty messed up because of the renovations. How can the city be more responsive to that? And how, what, how can they, they help given the fact that financially the city is not that well off to begin with, but what can be done? So, and that actually links back into the future growth area because economic development is a nice component of that, right? Uh, but what types of businesses are you bringing to our city? Because people think that success in the economy is having Walmart come into your community. I don't think that, that is success in our economy. And in the future growth area, I'm going to fight really hard to make sure more of it goes to small businesses. I don't want a Gilroy shopping outlets in my backyard. I don't want another big retail store. North Salinas is notorious for big retail stores. They don't have any small businesses over there. If I want to get a coffee, which I'm a coffee addict, and, if I, and I try to support small businesses, I really try not to go to uh, Starbucks, although I love the um, pumpkin cold brew. But, you know, I try not to go to Starbucks. I try, you know, I'll go to Viva Expresso. But really, Viva Expresso is the only small business coffee shop in North Salinas. So, and here in downtown, we have two. We have the cherry bean and then we have the bearded bean. So back to your question, um, how can we support our small businesses? It's really having a leveled playing field because oftentimes uh, the city council has so much uh, oversight on our local business community. Uh, and for example, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, you have Holiday Inn, all these big people that are coming to the community, they're not paying their taxes. They're getting a tax break and they're not paying the sales tax. 
And they're saying, oh, it'll be too difficult for us to pay the sales tax because we have so many new customers or whatever. So some people on the council believe that you just don't tax them and that having them alone in our city is, you know, good enough for our city. But yet the small mom and pop shops, they have to pay their taxes. So if we want to support our small businesses, how about we have these other big corporations that are coming to city, have them pay their taxes. That way, it's not such a burden and we're not so reliant on the small businesses to fuel our entire economy. So that's one of it. The other component of it is our permitting center. If you want to make renovations to your small business, if you want to open up a small business, it is so such bureaucracy to get through that. And people get discouraged. And then we're turning away local entrepreneurial spirit from thriving in our community Mm -hmm. through the bureaucracy of the permitting center. So we have to clean that up. But also... We have to be much more supportive of small businesses in the sense of, you know, I think you mentioned a really good point is these small businesses that are being affected by COVID, they are struggling just to keep the doors open. And now the city, you know, it seemed was going to slap them with a $300, you know, um, fee so that they could be uh, outside. Well, Salinas has wanted outdoor dining forever. I mean, I remember that's been a fight that's been happening for years. The community wants outdoor dining. And really, that's what makes a thriving downtown, having outdoor dining. So in my opinion, the city should waive that $300 fee. And I know some will say, oh, the city's in a really difficult financial position. Yes, they are. But I'll bet you money, if those small businesses close, it'll be a much worse financial position. So we have to look at long-range thinking. If you make these small, you know, breaks the way that big corporations get for small businesses, you will see a much greater financial investment that is returned to our local economy. So and another way to support small businesses is really prioritizing the importance of shopping local. We need to do that if we want to save these small businesses. You know, it's not enough to just take a picture with a bearded bean coffee thing, you know, once every three weeks and say, I support small businesses. It's like, whoa, whoa, is that a personal <laughs> attack? I'm not. There you go. Well, and, and for the record. I use relevant hashtags. <laughs> and for the record to the to the listeners, all three of us in the room have bearded bean. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're not paid sponsors. Yeah, but um, just so, coffee. So, hey, right. So what we need to do is really educate our peers and really tell people shop local because people's lives depend on it. And that's what it's really going to take to save our local economy is people shopping local. No, for, for sure. And I, I don't want to endorse anything, but I definitely endorse support shopping local. <laughs> it's not um, controversial. I promise you that. I, I love, I, I just ordered a, a bookstore from the, from the bookstore mm-hmm. and I walk in and it's like, hey, Osvaldo, yes. you know, you're looking for your book. That's cool. Yes. You know, Barnes and Noble, whoever, you don't get that. No yeah. disrespect to them, but books right. are books. Uh, but it just it feels good. It, yes. Again, it, it's cool, you know, that this person knows me on a personal level, you know, and it, it, it's just a, a different different level of service. Um, but I want to kind of switch it up a, a little bit right now. We were focusing a lot on kind of city issue type stuff. I want to get a little bit personal. Um, Basically the question is what to you makes a good leader? Mm. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think that people oftentimes when they say what makes a good leader is someone that's able to listen to all voices in the room. And while I don't disagree with that, really in my opinion, what makes a good leader is someone who is committed to their values. Because oftentimes we hear people say, Oh, listen to everyone. Well, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I want you to listen to everyone, but how much do you listen to certain groups, right? And so these people say, I'll listen to everyone. I'll meet with the big corporations. I'll meet with the small businesses. But who has more leverage on these leaders? And it tends not to be the community. So yes, we need people who listen to everyone, but we need people who are committed 
to working families. People are committed to social justice issues. So for me, what makes a good leader is someone who is rooted in the community, rooted in the fight for social, economic, and environmental justice. That, to me, is what makes a good leader. And as an elected official, you know, often I have people approach me for an endorsement. And for me, that's all that I look for. What has been their stance on environmental justice issues, social justice issues, and economic justice issues? Because that's really what's going to dictate how they vote on the council. You know, I don't care if you listen to everyone in the world because I know some people have more money that could you know, have you listen a little bit more to them. Um, I want to know where you stand on the issues and what is your commitment to the issues. So I think that's really important is people having commitment to the community's social justice fights. That's a really good answer, I, I would say. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, it's acceptable to Claudia. Acceptable really to Claudia. To there you go. Yeah, that yeah. is an so award. I am. I am. I guess I'm trying to also disguise my nervousness because I'm nervous a little. It's like, okay, so how do I follow that? And I guess that um, Osvaldo made a really good point earlier about the books. Right? He likes to go into a bookstore and and find out what's a good. You know, mm-hmm. people know him and whatnot. So, so also to switch it up a little bit, our next question is going to be related about books and. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about which books have influenced you? Which books have influenced me? That's a really good question. And I wish I had the ability to read more books lately. But I'm oftentimes stuck reading, you know, uh, various plans for the district and, uh, you know, various development plans. But that's a really good question. And I'd have to think about that a little bit more. You know, I... I'm not sure. You know, I would say probably one of the books that have influenced me more would be from, oh, I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. But it's, uh, I read it in an ethnic studies, no, I read it in uh, my history class. And it was a book uh, by Hans Zimmer, I think. I can't remember. Howard Zinn? Howard Zinn. Howard Zinn. uh, history of the people, U.S. Yes, history of yes, people. Yes, yes. That book mm-hmm. is what influenced me so much mm-hmm. because I read that book my freshman year of college. A People's History of the United States. Yes, there you go. yes, yes. Thank God for Google. Yes. Oh, I was going to say, that just came to me, <laughs> by the way, people. 1,100 pages? Oh, wow. That book influenced me so much because that's when I was really able to see, as it says, the people's history. And it really talks about so many of the labor struggles that we've had to go through as a country just to have workers' rights. So that has really influenced me a lot as I've been an elected official and as I've, you know, had to be, you know, oftentimes as school board members, we're confronted with, you know, negotiations, we're confronted with employee discipline, we're confronted with several human resources issues. That's really one of the most important roles of a school board member is human resources. And that has in many ways been a guiding document to me uh, as I've made decisions because it talks about, you know, child labor laws. It talks about the way women were treated in the workplace. It talks about all these issues that people had to go through just to fight for the ability to work in a place that is safe and free from discrimination or harassment. So really that book has changed my perspective on many things. The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. I, I actually don't have that. That's, it's, a, it's one of the classics from um, is it really? working class people perspective. Yeah. I got to get that. Uh, Go to bookshop.org, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, that place. And support local bookstores. Yeah. Yes. yeah go to uh, downtown book and downtown sound. Downtown book and sound. Yeah. 
it, it's actually kind of a, it, it could be kind of a, a little bit of a downer <laughs> because, it, you know, it's kind of really sad of the stories that people go through, but it's really shifts your perspective on the way you see things. Because I'll tell you, growing up, you know, as, as a young person in Salinas, Yes, we are in a community that is a farm worker community and we're largely Democrat, but uh, most people seem to forget the struggles of our community and they talk through the lens of, well, why don't you have what you have? Why don't, why don't you work harder for what you need to earn in your life? And, you know, it's not from, sometimes it's from our generation, but a lot of times, I mean, if you look on Facebook, like, you know, they say, farm worker housing is going to get built. Why don't we have farm worker housing? They need to work harder. They're on welfare, you know, whatever. Uh, so really that book helped me shift my perspective because growing up, you know, we're taught, especially through the capitalist society we live in, that, you know, Minimum wage jobs are for people in college or people who are barely entering the workforce. You should not be thinking you could live off of minimum wage. Why is that? I mean, there's a reason why it's minimum wage. People should be able to live off of a minimum wage. So this book is what really shifted my perspective on economic justice issues. I got to pick that one up. Oh, it's a great book. Yeah, actually, well, that one, uh, I recently picked one up um there's a press seven stories press i don't know if you're familiar with it but they are they they publish some really interesting books but i just got one called compañeras about uh, zapatista women and how they they got involved in that that revolutionary process down in in mexico and it's it's so cool it's so it's so cool it's so amazing um but yeah i i love that you you brought that up i like you were just kind of mentioning is that it's not the nice history story that, that we're all told. And I've, as I've personally gotten older, I I realize how not, not to say whitewashed or anything, but just to be like how, um, like, uh, clean our history is that we've taught that we've been taught. And it's not, you know, that this country was founded by, people who are imperfect so it's an imperfect country and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing just because you're saying that you're not saying oh destroy america you know <laughs> it's not working like no you gotta understand it. it's made by by regular people and to continue to teach this american exceptionalism that like everything was great the mayflower was amazing and all that <laughs> it does it does our country a disservice well i know that Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner racist, but he does have a good quote that I always tell people when they tell me, if you don't like this country, then get out of here. He said, the greatest form of patriotism is dissent. Yeah, well, and that, oh man, and that, well, that was our six questions. That's, um, was that six already? Yeah, see. <laughs> you said something really uh, important. Um, I really liked it, and it has nothing to do with being profound. You just said, the story's a downer. And I am always struck by how much we have this need in this country to for everything to be fun mm. and for everything to have a happy ending. Yeah. And we really need to, I feel like we need to get out of that because, first of all, happy endings are good for a Disney movie, but we don't live in a Disney movie. Mm. And second of all, I think that in order for us to be witnesses to 
the suffering our brothers and sisters, we need to put up with a lot of not happy stories with downers, if you will. Like mm-hmm. I watched 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. That story was really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I half of it wanted you know, not to watch it, but I felt like I owed it to m- my yeah. brothers and sisters in the Af- African-American community to watch that story. And it was really difficult. But I think that we need to see a little bit more of that, that that there was, there's been a lot of suffering historically in this country that needs to be addressed. And the first step to that is to be a witness. And yes. so that's a really good point. And I had to come to terms with that myself because when the George Floyd murder happened, I didn't want to watch the video. I did not want to watch the video. I, haven't, I refused to watch this. it. And someone told me, how could you be showing up to these protests if you haven't watched the video? And I had to force myself to watch that video. It was, I mean, I, I really, I couldn't sleep that night. And it was just something that, you know, was so awful to me uh, to watch someone take their last breath. And it was, I, I could never, you know, I mean, those are the types of things that really make you rooted in the fight for social justice, because you are watching an injustice happen in the year 2020. And then some people really, I mean, some people are really saying, oh, well, he wasn't that great of a person. Why are you guys, you know, marching? He wasn't that great of a person. I mean, so really watching stuff like that. And like you said, you have to come to terms with it. And and that's true. You know, a lot of times um, there is no happy ending, but you just have to fight for a little bit of a better ending the next time. Yeah. And if you knowing this is a huge part of making sure it doesn't repeat and it's I don't want to get too political on our political <laughs> show here. Um, but it's it's interesting because I enjoy history and I enjoy reading history. And then you see things happening today that it's like, wait, I read this. This happened in, in the 1920s or the 1840s or mm-hmm. the 1730, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like a version of what what is happening now happened then. And that didn't end well, you know, so it's like and so it's important that we that we know that this has happened before. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people are upset and people are fighting because they know that, again, they are familiar with the the previous history and that they know what they're fighting for. And so, yeah, it's fairly important. Yeah. To know your history and all and all sides. Don't don't just be like, oh, well, this is what the History Channel show said about right. that. Like, well, that's why, you know, it was so important for us in the high school board to pass ethnic studies as a graduation requirement, because especially in the city of Salinas, we need people to know their history. Uh, and some people said, well, why do you keep talking about that? We need to forget about the past. You need to move forward. Well, you can never move forward if you haven't come to terms with the past. And I know for me and for many other people who look like me. We felt uncomfortable being in professional settings because those professional settings were not tailored for us. You know, we have to adapt and we have to in many ways conform to, you know, what the system has you know, made us believe is professional or successful. But when you teach people about their history, when they know where they came from, they're much more confident in who they are. And then these things that we've been, you know, uh, tailored to believe are flaws. But in reality, they're things that make us better as people. That is why we have ethnic studies, because people need to know their history and be able to walk into a professional setting and claim their space because they know who they are. Yeah, no, that is 
really important. And along those lines, to promote our <laughs> our show, we we started this series. Well, what I felt was the beginning of this series was with a recap of the last 200 years of Selena's history mm. for those reasons. Because I wanted to show people, like, if they knew what the history of this city was, they would get a sense of pride as to what this election is, was yes. what they're fighting for, you know? And it's it's cities, they're, they're interesting things. I mean, I enjoy cities and how they grow, obviously, like I mentioned, the working with the city planning department. Yeah. But I think some people just, Forget that, you know, that they just they just kind of go about their lives and be like, no, dude, this this was a deliberate action by a lot of people that created this area. Mm-hmm. And when people forget about that, I, I think they again, they don't realize how lucky we are. Um, I me as a writer, I always bring up the John Steinbeck thing. I, I, I it baffles me beyond all reason why this city doesn't promote that as much as it does. I mean, I, I know they swear that they'll, they they do, but I'm like, we had a Nobel Prize winning <laughs> writer walking around these right. streets. What, that magic that created that is still here. Like, it, it's there. I know? went to John Steinbeck Elementary. Yeah. Yeah, that, yes, the, you did. In the Alisal Union yeah. School District. Yeah, yeah, I went to John Steinbeck. I went to Hardin. I went to Alvarez now, now UC Santa Cruz. You know, I think one thing, as you mentioned about the importance of knowing the history i think moving forward because as you have several candidates on here you should ask them what prompted them to get involved in politics not what asked what got them to run for office but what got them to get involved in politics because with the exception of few some some few of them uh, a lot of them have experience in being involved in some sort of politics before running for office and for me i got involved in my junior year of high school in politics because that is when we were at an all-time high of murders when we were at a 50 homicides per year. And it was scary to be a young Latino in Salinas then because we were hearing almost on a regular basis that someone was either, you know, attempted homicide or a homicide that happened. And um, I wasn't seeing enough investment in, in young people. And what happened was at North Salinas High School, a young man was killed and they did the mural. They did the recognizing of his life. They really, you know, talked about it a lot. Carlos Robles. And then, I don't know if most people know this, but two young people were killed at Everett Alvarez High School. They weren't killed at Everett Alvarez, but they went to Everett Alvarez High School when, when his name was Juan Perez. And nobody really ever talked about them. Why? Because they were not the quarterback. Why? Because they were not the people that, you know, you would say, oh, my God, how could that ever happen to them? They were the young people you probably thought were going down the wrong path. Yeah. Um, and nobody addressed it at my school. Nobody addressed it in my district. So a lot of us people, a lot of us students at Alvarez, we are pushing on our principal to make a statement. We're pushing on her to address the fact that two young people have been murdered who went to our school. And she, on an intercom, said, an eagle has fallen. That is what she said. She wouldn't even say the name of these young people. Um, and then so we kept pushing, we kept pushing. And then I met with her one time and I said, hey, you know, we'd like to have some sort of a, um, you know, recognizing that a life has been lost. And she says, it's against district policy. And I said, well, North High did it. And then she said something that stuck with me and has been ingrained in my head. And I, it's what really pushes me to continue to do what I do. She said, I am not asking you what North High did. I'm telling you what I'm going to do at my school. And then that's what told me I need to run for office. I need to do something. I need to get involved in something. I was a junior in high school at the time. So I was organizing students. We were speaking at school board meetings. We were advocating for changes in our district um, because uh, Salinas High School had a nice farm for their FFA program. 
And Everett Alvarez High School had a farm next to the county jail that didn't have running water or electricity. And the storm had hit and it ripped off the roof. <laughs> so we pushed at the school board to get funding for it. We kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's how I got appointed to the Youth Commission for the city, the Library Commission, the Mental Health Commission. Um, and it's always been with the same goal for me, which is to give a voice to people who are often told, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Um, because people don't realize you can get in there. And then you could be the person that is telling that person, no, I'm not asking, I'm telling you. Obviously, we don't want to do that to police on a regular basis. But, yeah. you know, and, and really, um, that's what I told myself is I'm going to be this person's boss when I get on the school board, you know. So then I ended up running for office in 2018 for the school district. Um, and it's funny because I never thought I had a shot in hell of winning it. <laughs> so and I was actually even running to win. I was running because I wanted young people to register to vote and vote in the election. Uh, but I went out there and I knocked on every door in my district twice. And I did it myself. I actually had no volunteers in my campaign <laughs> because I didn't want to have a lot of people involved in a losing campaign because I thought I was going to lose. So I was just going out there myself, knocking on doors, talking to people, uh, putting up signs. You know, I raised about $8,000. My opponent raised $17,000. And, you know, and the entire time I knew I was going to lose. And I had two other friends of mine who were running for school board uh, at the time. One is Catherine Ramirez for Salinas City Elementary School District. Another was Robert Ocampo for the Alisal School Board. And then they wanted to have an election night party. And I said, I don't want to have an election night party. I'm going to lose. What do I want to show up to my own funeral for? <laughs> you know, have everyone come up to me and say, oh, you did so great. Maybe next time, you know. Um, and so I begrudgingly agreed to have an election night party. And when I showed up there, the first results came out. I didn't even want to look at them, but my phone I had like four text messages on my phone. I didn't even want to look at them. And I opened it, and I was at 59% of the vote, and my opponent was at 41%. And the next one came out, I was at 60, and she was at 40. In the, and then in the end, I was at 62% of the vote, and she was at uh, 38%. Yeah. So that always stuck with me because I never thought I was going to win. And then I ended up you know, being able to pull off by a pretty big margin, and she had been a two-term incumbent. So that's my history of why I got in politics and ultimately why I, now I'm running for city council because, you know, I've seen people consistently just brush to the side and said, oh, well, you know, you're not a major donor. You're not someone of influence in the community. I couldn't care less what you have to say. There's something you keep mentioning, which I think is fascinating. You keep repeating the term social justice, which I don't think is really a, uh, maybe popular in, among certain circles, but I don't think it's probably popular in other circles. Mm. So I'm wondering, what do you think, if people question you about you wanting to be social justice, oh, you're a communist, or you're this <laughs> and the other, what would you, what is your response to that? You know, obviously to a certain extent, you tailor your message to the audience you speak to, right? Uh, but to another extent, I am who I am. And people vote for me because I am who I am. And, you know, for me, social justice is the idea that people should not be discriminated against. People should have, you know, the opportunity to succeed regardless of their background. Sometimes, you know, because of their background, they should have the opportunity to succeed even more so because they've been historically oppressed. So for me, social justice is a part of who I am. I grew up in a single parent household. My father passed away of cancer when I was five years old. Uh, I've grown up in the same apartment my entire life because we've not been able to have the economic mobility because of corporate greed, because of people not willing to invest in affordable housing. So when I talk about social justice, it, it, it's a fight for my own future. It's a fight for people who look like me, who have been historically pushed aside to, you know, I mean, and the reality is the people that are going to get upset with me for using social justice were people that number one did not support me in the first place. And number two, you know, they're people who I don't even want to associate myself with half the time. Uh, 
Um, so obviously there are some people who say, oh, he's a social justice, you know, communist type person, which I'm like, hey, if fighting for people's rights and uh, just the ability to live in this universe and, you know, world without yeah. being oppressed is, you know, controversial, then I'm controversial. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so what do you say to the pe- some people who say, well, that was cool. You did your high school board thing. You got lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, you worked really hard mm-hmm. and somebody just, you know, somebody was just the incumbent probably just mm-hmm. didn't expect your energy. And now you're trying to jump into city council. So this, is, this is to seem use a kind of a old term now. This is big boy territory. Right. This is, you know, this is the the city. Um, there's a, a lot more moving parts, a lot more people that you have to to make happy. But you, again, and you're so inexperienced in politics. You're so young. That that's great that you have all this motivation. Excellent. We want to see more young people being being again this involved. But if you make a mistake at the council level, you can really, really again set back this area and a lot of people and with your inexperience and your youth that that might happen you know that might be more more likely to happen to somebody that you know has been a politician for 15 years how how do you make those people comfortable how do you tell you know how do you tell them like that i don't agree with that well number one it's funny that this race the 21 year old is the most experienced candidate in the race. I'm the only one who's held elected office. I'm the only one who has served on both a city and county commission and served on several nonprofit board of directors. I also have served on the Community Human Services Board of Directors, and they operate homeless shelters. They provide substance abuse counseling and family counseling services. So in terms of if we're going to stack people up by experience, I am head and shoulders above my opponents with experience. But for me, I'm not only running on experience. I'm running on vision for the future. Because people like to say, oh, I have life experience. Oh, that's fantastic. Can your life experience get you four votes? Does your life experience have you be able to direct a chief executive? You know, so it's funny because that is something that's used oftentimes against young candidates. Well, if you make a mistake, what's going to happen? But oftentimes that same litmus test is not used for someone who is of older age. You know, what about all the mistakes that are being done by people who are 70 years old? I mean, just look at this president, you know, for God's sakes. I mean, he has a lot of life experience. He's a businessman. He has the experience of running a business, right? Yeah. So really, um, I'm not running for the city manager position. You know, if I was running for city manager, then I'd say, okay, Anthony, can you know, settle down a little, right? You know, I'm running to be one voice out of seven that influences public policy. And the city is majority young. And young people don't have a voice at City Hall. So I'm not running just for the sake of being a young person just running. You know, I'm running because I've served in elected office. I'm running because I know the issues, but also because I have the commitment of being on the right side of the issues. So obviously, you know, those who are going to vote the way they're going to vote based on age are going to vote that way. But if there is one way to convince people who are open at looking at me, it's look at my voting record. I have been in elected office. I have a very public record. You know, you could watch school board meetings and see how I am and how I deliberate and how I push for things. So it's not like I'm an unknown commodity. I've, I've been in elected office and an appointed office for quite some time now. I got first appointed to serve in 2015. So, yeah, which again, the five year, that's, that's, <laughs> that's five years record. That's yeah. experience. Well, I think we've got a really great overview of who you are, what you what you want to do. What where would you like the city to be in 15 years? What is what are your hopes and and uh, 
dreams for the city. So in 15 years, I want to see our city be a community that is an affordable community. And I know that that seems like, uh, well, you know, we're in California. How could that be possible? But it's very much possible with the type of land use policies you implement. So for 15 years, I want to see small businesses thriving in our community. I want to see people being able to purchase homes. I want to see economic mobility. That's what I want to see 15 years from now. A community that has not been ravaged by the Silicon Valley, but that is thriving because we took the steps needed to prevent that from happening. And we invested in our local economy. So for me, it's always putting people over profit. And that is what makes a thriving community. Did you... I want, well, I mean, we're getting, uh, like I said, we can, I'm more than willing to keep going. We can keep going. I don't know how long people will listen, but um, do you want to take Claudia to give you the, the last question? Um, I, I thought that was my last question, but maybe the last question has to be, is there anything we ask you that you, you think people should know about you as being a candidate for these, for the district six hmm. Salina city, uh, Salina city council? What I just think is so important to know is the future of Salinas will be fought in the 6th District. And we need a council member who has the courage and the commitment to working families to hold the line and say, no, we're not going to give sweetheart deals anymore. We're not doing that. But not only the courage to do that, but has the proven ability to get four votes on their way. Because I'm not going to City Hall just to be, you know, uh, a thorn on someone's side. I'm going to City Hall to be very deliberate and get things accomplished. So I'm going to City Hall to make sure that we're having significant concessions and entitlements on these developments, but also getting my council members to agree with me on it and getting the types of services we need. All right. Well, that's, yeah, we've asked, we've asked, we still have some more, but we can, we'll leave those. (laughs) Somebody else is going to get that hot seat. Um, but yeah, like, like, thanks again for doing this. This is new for us. And so you, you took a risk in coming on for that. And, and I'm, I'm really grateful for you for doing that. And I really hope that this helps inform more people. Like I said, we are, we're not trying to sway anybody's opinion either way. We are just trying to get information out there and, uh, I hope this worked. I, I I really enjoyed it, at least. I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you for coming on. Claudia, is there anything you want to... Thank you so much for, for agreeing to be here. It's a great honor for Voices of Monterey Bay to be part of this project. Uh, it's exciting, an exciting new venture for us. We hope that uh, the listeners hang on with us along the way, that they learn about the candidates and the issues about Selena's underground as well. We hope to continue with this. And at least we're going to continue until the election and uh, stick around. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the ability to have an in-depth conversation on the issues because oftentimes you're presented at forums and they yeah. say, how are you going to solve the housing crisis? One minute, you know? Yeah. So so I really appreciate the ability to go in-depth on policies and, and what the vision is for the future. And, you know, as people listen to this, I think that's so important because you get to see the human side of people, uh, not just the sound bites, but really get to know a person. So I appreciate it. Yes. And yeah. And so get involved. Make sure that you're registered. Make sure that you know where your polling place is. Um, And make sure you are understanding what the issues are and you listen to all the candidates and and vote for whoever convinces you that has the most experience, most knowledge and can do good by you and your family. Yes. 
Thank you. Very, very well said, Claudia. Um, well, that's it. Thank, Thank thanks you. again. Uh, thanks to, to Claudia and Voices of Monterey Bay for, for partnering with us and doing this. We we look forward to, to keep going on, and this was fun. We'll see y'all next week. See who see who's who's on the hot seat next week. You're you're free now, Anthony. I'll see y'all next week.